Good evening, folks. Good evening and welcome. Having lived in Germany for many, many years, I start punctually. I hope you don't mind. Um, I, I don't know if people on the side, these are not reserved for presidents or potentates. If you guys want to sit here, genuinely, you'll, you'll see more, hear more, and, and I promise not to pick on you for jokes again. It's genuine. If you want to sit here, you, you, might, you, know, you might see more. Don't be shy. As they say in Scotland, shy bairns get nae sweets. Uh, or um, pulled pork uh, burgers, which we had uh, from the, what's, what's the piglet? piglet? The cheeky piglet, which was very nice. I really enjoyed it. You're very welcome, everyone, for Food for Thought. Uh, my name is Joe Lynham, and uh, thanks for coming out. We're going to learn a little bit about the food business. Uh, we're going to learn about food trucks. We're going to learn about restaurants. We're going to learn about styles. We're going to learn about cuisine. We're going to learn about technology. Uh, and the reason we're going to learn about technology is, of course, because there is no such thing as being in business without technology. And for that, we have, of course, Square. Uh, everything that your business needs. Almost. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so Fiona, by the way, is definitely uh, on message in that respect. Fiona is head of restaurants. Fiona O'Regan is head of restaurants at Square. And uh, to he, her right is, of course, Paul Flynn, the chef and restaurateur, who you may recognize Hello. from his restaurant, the Tannery, mm -hmm. uh, but more probably also from the box, from the television. A little bit. Yeah, you're on the Today program on a regular basis, yeah. Paul. That'd be fair enough. I'm like Dahi's wingman. Right. We <laughs> uh, and uh, Kevin is, Kevin Hughes is from Nomo Ramen, who, uh, oh, there. <laughs> 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 June, by the way, June Hughes, is that her name? That's June her Hughes name, yeah. is, is responding to her dad's name eight, nine months. <laughs> nine months. That is, she's lovely. And she'll be joining us. If, if, you run, if your mouth goes dry and you run out of answers, yeah, we'll get June up. She I cute her up already, yeah. She has a lot to say. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Nomo Ramen is uh, the street between Camden Street and Harcourt Street. Would that yes, be fair to say? That's correct. What's yeah. the name of it? Uh, uh, Charlotte's Way. Charlotte's Way, yeah. Okay, yeah. What's the, yeah. Just. Great. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and you're you're only in business about a, we're just over 14 months? A, a year now. Yeah. yeah, just about twelve. Thir uh, yeah, thirteen, fourteen months. All right. How's it been? Uh, it's been good. We've uh, we've been very lucky in, in in some respects. Like we opened just right after all the restrictions were lifted. Uh, we opened in, on the first of April in 2022. And um, to to be honest, like you know, with any new business, you don't know what to expect. Uh, our first question was, how do we get customers through the door? Um, and there's no answer to that. You just gotta, you gotta figure it out as, as you kind of open. But um, we, uh, we've been very lucky that the Dublin restaurant community and, and the customers have, have, uh, have taken to uh, us uh, as, a, as a style of food coming up in Dublin. And uh, we've, been, we've been pretty busy. So um, long may it last, crossing all my fingers. Did I hear correctly that you have extended your opening hours bit by bit? over the last 14 months in response to the demand? Yes, um, so the first day we opened, uh, we opened on a Tuesday at lunch and um, everyone was like, open that day, no one will, will come. Like, you'll, you'll find your feet, you'll be all right. And I was like, perfect. And I think we prepped for about 30 servings. Um, and we opened the door and first person 
kind of strolls up, what's this, second person, and then within 10 minutes, we had a queue around the block. Ooh. And I was in this... I didn't know your family was that big. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I called all my friends. Um, <laughs> and I was in this really weird moment where, you, you know, as a business owner, that is probably the best thing you want to see. But at the same time, the anxiety around not having enough food and, and you know, kind of, do you think you're not, you're not making... Uh, you can't serve everyone was actually far greater. So uh, what we ended up doing was we ran out of food after 30 minutes and then we had to close the restaurant because we had no more food and we had to turn people away. And then I ran to the supermarket to buy um, the, the, the meats or veg, whatever we needed because our suppliers... Did you have enough ramen? Uh, no, we were, we, we right. had enough noodles, but we didn't we didn't have any more like broth. We didn't oh, have right. any more toppings. So, so when, when I say ramen, I meant the noodles, but obviously that's not the right nomenclature. Yeah, ramen would be the whole dish, but um, we would we would have a seven eight hour process for our broth. So that you know it's kind of planned in ahead, and then our, our pork, our toppings takes twenty four hours. So yeah. we ran out of all that in in, in the first hour. <laughs> right, we'll come back to that very poor management skills that we have. Uh, uh, <laughs> And talk to a man who knows a fair bit about how to run a restaurant. Uh, Paul, tell us when you opened uh, the tannery. Tell us about it. And tell us you know, some of your nightmares as well. Oh, how long have you got? This is only supposed to be 40 minutes. <laughs> okay. um, well, the restaurant's open uh, 26 years. And it was, it's exactly all the things that you shouldn't be doing, that you're told you shouldn't be doing when you open a restaurant because... It was a derelict factory on a, on a horrible street with derelict cottages and there was hoarding to the right-hand side. And it was in Dungarvan, which was kind of pretty inaccessible, which is compared to what it is now because there was no motorways. But it was my hometown. And uh, I could, it was absolutely a heart-overhead decision, which many times in subsequent years we were thinking, what the hell did we do? All our life savings have gone in here. Like prior to that, like I was in London for 10 years, but then... I ran a restaurant that some people might remember called La Stampa in Dublin. And La Stampa was a really great place. It was amazing. So I was the head chef there and then it was all bells and whistles. And then I said, right, let's do this. And the place was always packed. So the quietest restaurant I ever opened up or ran was my own. <laughs> uh, uh, and it, 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 was, it was like that. Well, it was like that for quite a long time, I, I suppose. But the thing that would change it, the season, like we're a seasonal restaurant, we still are. And, but the thing that changed it, so the summer months, you might get like six weeks in the summer because Dungarvan wasn't a tourist area then. It is now, thankfully, it's amazing. And, um, but really what happens, sometimes you have to be lucky in business. And uh, there was a woman called Patsy Murphy, who was the editor of the Irish Times, and her son, or her daughter was in Ring, and Ryan the Grail talked. Mm -hmm. And she uh, got talking to me, and I can talk, I suppose. Uh, and Very she unusual said, for an Irishman. I know, I heard that, that I, I honed it in many pubs. <laughs> That's what happened. But she said, would you write an article for, uh, you know, about running a restaurant in the country? And I, I, I'd never written before, but uh, I said, I'd give it a go. And I can't, I actually still to this day can't type. Um, and so I used to write it out. Uh, I wrote the, the, the article in question, like it was, a, it was a big thing. And it was about my friend's 40th birthday party that we had in the barn. And I spoke about all the food. And I wrote it and then my wife took it away, delivered up a couple of plates upstairs to the, to the uh, customers and then started typing it. So we sent it off to Patsy and then it was published. And then I did two or three more of those. Then she asked me to be the food writer for the Irish Times. Wow. 
And so that kind of, what, what happened there is that we couldn't have afforded... And could you mention your restaurant at the bottom of your articles and say... Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, that was okay. And that was the game changer. It yeah. really was. And, and it taught us a couple of lessons. Uh, first of all, you could be really working hard and doing the best food you possibly can. But we were in a town of 8,500 people. And as many supporters, you, you know, you'll have a good few of those that will support you. Uh, but however, they're not, they're not going to come all the time. So you need, we needed to expand the base. You need locals. Very, very important. Well, you needed locals in the quiet time, but we also needed people to travel to us. Mm. So what the Irish Times articles did was put us on the map in terms of people travelling to us. And the Irish Times at the time was, was very much uh, Dublin-centric, and people used to travel down to us and book into local B&Bs. So we didn't have a big plan about what we wanted to do with the business, but you know, probably decided pretty soon after this we had to get our own B&B. So, you know, we bought a building around the corner three years later or so, and then we bought another one, and then we put a cookery school in there. And so it was all very organic the way it happened. But from the articles, I got asked to do a book, and, and then that book was turned into a TV series. So, um, but the whole thing is now, I mean, I, I've really, it's not that I've given up the cooking, I haven't at all. I'm very much, uh, but I'm just... 57, that's the thing. So I've got young team, head chef and all that. And I'm really, it's always been the case that, if you're in a place that people have to find you to get there, you have to make sure that you rise above, that, that people think about you and they, they say, let's go to the tannery or let's go to... You, know, you have to be on people's minds the whole time. So that's really my job aside from cooking. So, you know, I suppose you know, five TV series later, I'm just about to publish my fifth book uh, coming out in September. And I do it not just, not just because... Well, I love doing it. I mean, the, the thing about, about discovering a new side to yourself... Uh, I never thought I was able to do it, but however, it really kind of magnifies yourself in, in terms of, you know, I was always slaving away in the kitchen. I was good at what I did, but all of a sudden you kind of, you realise that, that you can possibly be good at something else. And I really kind of pushed that side of things as well, and it only for the good of the rest, because it, it was always about driving people into the business, mm. because without that, actually, I'm thoroughly convinced that we would be closed. So it's all about the people? Yeah, it's all about getting the message out there. Let's talk about the stuff that goes on in the background, Fiona. Um, I'm, I'm hearing two tales of passion, i.e. people who went into this business because they loved it. They didn't go into it saying, I'm going to make a ton of money. <laughs> what Square, I presume, does is remove a lot of the worry that goes on about running a business. A lot of the worry, and I would say also a lot of the manual processes. Um, like from, from hearing their stories, I don't think I've never met a restaurant owner who opened a restaurant because they love doing the books. Right. Like all of that is stuff that yeah. should be automated. Technology can really help with that. Yeah. So with Square, for example, you can on one handheld device take orders, take your payments, and because it's all one system, it speaks to each other, so that actually saves you hours of back-end reconciliation. So that's all time that you can just put back into your restaurant, improving customer service or doing other bits that make your business better. So when Kevin gets an order for three bowls of ramen and all that, and specific type, does that deal with your stock at the same time? What you can do is you can program it to say, I have 30 portions of ramen today available for sale. Mm -hmm. And then your staff will then 
it, it will work down. So you'll say, I've got 27 left, I've got 26 left, right. and then it will alert you. It will just completely be removed. You won't be able to order it once it's sold out. Uh -huh. So it stops that double ordering thing, and then you have to go back and explain that there's, no, there's nothing left. So it removes that human error. And does Square apologize to the customers when you run out of food? That's, <laughs> that's one of the almost. Almost, <laughs> right, okay, yeah. Uh, so Kev, getting back to this, what happened uh, when you had to run away and buy more food. This is only 14 months ago. Uh, did yeah. some customers disappear? They must have. Um, they actually, they were very adamant on waiting. So I remember well, we, we told people, sorry, ran out of food. They're like, oh, sure, I'll come back in an hour. It's like, no, maybe in 24 hours because uh. that's how long the food takes to prep. So what I actually, end, like we're very apologetic and, and, and luckily people understood. But that day I remember just thinking like, because in my mind, you know, when you open a restaurant, you're like, oh, it's going to be great. I'm going to be there cooking and I'm going to be serving food and everyone's going to be smiling. And, you know, that's the, at least that's the vision I had in my head. Um, and um, what, I, what I ended up doing was I went to the supermarket, bought a ton of food, and then I prepped in the kitchen until 4 a.m. that night. Wow. Slept on, like, the, the bench where a customer sat. And then I was like... Mm, should I stay here until eight? Because we were we were open the next day again, and so I didn't. I went I went home, set four hours, and came back, and uh, that was my baptism of fire into uh, into, into my own restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> so and and you did sign up with Square straight away. Yes. Um, I so my my own background is like I actually came from tech. I, I worked in tech for ten years, um, but but food was always my my ultimate passion. And uh, when I went into doing no more ramen, I, uh, one of the first things I knew was like, well, at least something that I'll be good at is probably the tech side. Um, so before I did anything else, I, I searched for POS systems, you know, just payment systems. And, um, and I tell a lot of people this because I, you know, we eat in a lot of restaurants and what I always saw was just this screen with like lots of buttons and lots of colors. And, um, that, that is some POS systems, and I, and, I, and I was like, no, it has to be a bit simpler, you know, I want something to be a little bit mobile, and, um, and that's how I came across Square, and, and I signed up with them before I signed my lease. <laughs> For, uh, they didn't pay me to say that. Uh, that's a true story. <laughs> no, it is something they'll put in the brochures, I suspect. Uh, in the 1990s, you had to have dedicated lines, didn't you, into, into your restaurants if you wanted an electronic POS system? Point no, we did, we did, yeah. I mean, we still don't have one, actually. I'm going to sign up straight away. Yeah. Uh, because uh, we're forever going, we have two portions of cod left when you go up and tell everybody around the restaurant. And then there's always somebody who gets missed. Yeah. You know, one of the waiters, they're, they're at a table taking the order, and, you go, and then straight away, people are fed up. You know, oh, I was looking forward to the card and nothing else will replace my life is over this kind of thing right. <laughs> yeah, yeah so I mean but the people are you know they're upset straight away so yeah hello the, uh, <laughs> I mean we're talking about ramen now and we have uh, the grease piglet outside um, sorry the cheeky piglet. cheeky piglet outside and we have the uh, gorgeous uh, gluten-free cheesecakes as well uh, those options weren't around 25 years ago the change has been phenomenal Paul in this country it has it has, but um, yeah, it, well, it absolutely has. So yeah, I'm, I'm expecting a few. Uh, um, well, you have to be ready for everything now. You have to be ready for gluten-free, vegans, uh, you name it. Yeah. And you just have to think in your feet and have have uh, menus ready that absolutely did not exist years ago. It was kind of you know, a, a vegetarian used to wander in every now and again. You'd be kind of looking at them and say, oh. 
<laughs> Did you poke them? Yeah. <laughs> but now, you know, now it's just everything has changed. But you have to be adaptable, and otherwise, you just simply won't stay in business. Now, you were in London for uh, more than a decade. Mm. I presume you picked up a fair bit there. Yeah. And took back some of those ideas. Yeah, I did, absolutely. But, you know, to be honest with you, the, the portions um, de- increased conversely. The important, the more, every time I moved, the portions got bigger, right? So in London, they were a certain size. Then I moved to Dublin, they were a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. And then when I moved to Rungarbon, like everything got bigger. Right. So, so you, You're you, going to be in trouble when you go to Texas, my friend. Uh, I don't know I'm gonna, if I'm going to go. I'm too many guns. Yeah. Um, but I think that, well, what it is, is that you just, you, you have to, I mean, it's a farming community. Um, and certainly in London, it wasn't a farm community. So what you want to do is attract people in. You have to know your customers. And there's a woman that, that is still with us, that was with us from day one. And she was our, our, our sort of temperature control. She knew that the customers, knew who they were. Because my wife used to work for Sherry Fitzgerald. And she used That's to, you know... That's an estate agent, n- by the way. N- nights Other off. Other estate agents are available. <laughs> <laughs> but I have nights off. And all of a sudden, she was dragged into this business. But anyway, the thing is, you need to feed people if you're in the country, as well as you know, express your love of cooking and make something stylish and, and you want to express your craft. But how does this equate to, you know, a, a big pile of food in the plate? So there has to be a happy medium. But we found a happy medium. And actually, you know, I think that the most important thing about a restaurant is that you have to have a spirit of generosity. You have to like feeding people. And the most important thing about having a restaurant is that what you want to hear is laughter. More than anybody else. I, I used to be the head chef of, of a two mission star restaurant in London. Have you met Gordon Ramsay? Yeah, once when I was... Yeah, I know. I know, but look, you can't. Honestly, he's so successful and it's... Uh, yeah, what are you going to say about him? Within earshot, anyway. I mean, you said, and I totally believe that, you need to like people and like yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's a facade, but he doesn't appear to like people nor what he's doing. Well, I suppose he doesn't get to meet people all that often. Right. Uh, you know, he's got people to do it for him. Right. The front of house people. Yeah. But he definitely is a master of what he does because he's had three Michelin stars and a restaurant empire for as long as I can remember. Yeah, yeah. So he's definitely a, a very amazingly talented man and he has got this facade and he probably earns more money from telly. I'm sure he does, he does. Than, he, than he does in the restaurants. Um, but anyway, you go, look, the thing is you have to know your customer and you have to listen to them. Otherwise, quite simply, uh, if you have a little hissy fit and you're not happy, mm-hmm. um, uh, they won't come back. You, you talk about seasonality. Yeah. Uh, is that coming back? Because a lot of people are using sustainability and they're saying, you know, you, you, you don't want food to come too far. Um, but, you, you know, at the same time, you want to give people choice. I mean, his noodles come from New Jersey, uh, made by a Japanese company, and they land then suddenly in, in, in Dublin. Like Where- Bruce. Yeah. Like Bruce, yeah. <laughs> you brought him over. <laughs> so, sustainable, do you change your, your menu four times a year? We change our menu 12 times a year right. because I love seasonality. I think the most important thing for me is that, is that you, the customers have to see that you're changing the dishes. Now, to be fair, I've, I've made the, the menu smaller um, because the bigger the menu, the more staff you need. Yeah. It's as simple as that. So I made the menu smaller, but because we have regulars coming in the whole time, we have to make it active and we always have specials on. So it's not just the people that come down and visit and stay in our rooms, um, um, you know, because they're going to come twice a year, once a year, whatever. It's the people, it's, it's you know, the, the fireman who you want to come in or the, the nurse and the doctor or the teacher. Mm-hmm. They're the people. You don't want them saying that they never change their menu in there. So it's always, every, on, the, on the first of the month, we always, we work on it for the last so week. So here we are, mid-May. What's, what's the 
It's, what's the season? Uh, uh, well, asparagus, everything is green. You know, what I think about now is that we're kind of heading into summer where, so greens are, uh, you know, peas and asparagus and um, the, the menu is starting to lighten up, to lighten up. Uh, I am, like my new book is called Butter Boy, by the way, which you never think about looking at me, but anyway. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I use a lot of butter in the, su in the winter time and then I gradually lighten it up towards the summertime. And then in the summertime, it becomes more Mediterranean. You know, it, it turns into reds, tomatoes and peppers and, and you start to use olives and, and orange and rosemary and all those things. I'm very clear about all of that. Right. And, and, and uh, my kitchen are too. And that's part of, you know, when you get young chefs and they're passionate about something, you're only as good as, as where you learn. And so the first thing we do, we don't look and see if they've been in college, we look and see where they've worked. Mm. And if, if they have a good place on their, on their CV, then you say, well, he, you know, the, uh, he or she must be ambitious and, and prepared to work hard, which is the most important thing, mm -hmm. and willing to learn. And the fact that they're here with me, they, they, um, they want to get me on the CV as well. All right. So it's, it's, and I'm also very collaborative in the sense of we have somebody good. What you don't want to do is stifle them. You want them to, to kind of, you know, be part of the whole thing. So, you know, you, you want to, them to kind of feel that they can achieve to get something on the menu as well, mm -hmm. which is, um, so, but we have a small team. We don't have, you know, we have six maybe chefs. We used to have a lot more, but we've tightened everything up a bit. And uh, Fiona, can you guys help with seasonality? We cannot help with seasonality, but what we can do is take a lot of the things that, that you're saying, like say with your, your staff and you say you're worried about how many dishes are on the menu. Yeah. So what we can help is with reporting, we can just tell you how much of each dish you're selling and you can make smarter business decisions to mm -hmm. avoid food waste, to help with that sustainability thing. And we also have a feature that allows you to manage your team, so staff scheduling and rotas, so that allows you, frees you up from that admin to then go in and nurture that creativity within your staff. So you do staff scheduling as well? We do as okay. well. And does Kev do that? Uh, I don't use that feature today. You need to step up, man. So yeah, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Only if I knew tech. Yeah. <laughs> um, Kevin, by the way, was in <laughs> the technology industry for about a decade. Decade. So you started off by cooking, then went into tech and yeah. decided, no, I'm making too much money here, so I need to go into restaurant business. It's, uh, it, it is, it is a, probably not the most common transition, but I, I trained as a chef when I was 18, and um, I, I love food, but I actually, you know, I, I tell a lot of people this, the, when you're trained in like the old kind of traditional way and, and, and some of the kind of cultures around kitchens, I was actually put off cooking for, for a while um, due to that. So I, I kind of wanted to, you know, get out of that space and I went into tech and, and, but ultimately I was like, I really love food. The bug never went away. I, you know, I started just to cook all the time and, and, and I wasn't a hundred percent sure that I wanted to do a restaurant because it's a, it's a very, uh, it's a very tough industry. And, and like you said, like people do it for the passion and it is genuinely a, a labor of love. But um, when, when we kind of thought about it, um, my biggest question was, can I run a restaurant without having worked in one or, nor kind of cooked in the kitchen for, for you know, 10 years and, and, and earned that experience? Um, and that's when I started to meet other restaurateurs in the Dublin scene that had a very similar experience, you know, came from different industries. And the one thing that they all told me was, yes, you can. And if, you're, if you have enough passion, you'll succeed. Um, I know it sounds very simple and it's probably very, uh, maybe a little bit generic and, and everyone kind of says it. Mm -hmm. 
but when we opened and after the first two, three months, you know, you have staff issues, you have uh, all sorts, you know, things break and our fridge broke last Saturday night. Then out of all days, that had to be Saturday night and then, you know, no one's working on a Sunday so no one can fix it. Mm -hmm. um, so you kind of, you have all these issues that you can't predict. Um, it's not like tech where, you know, it's very stable and you can see the future and, and you know, it feels a lot more scalable. So what I did realize after a year is that the passion really drives the success because if you're not passionate and all these things happen, you'll just end up going, ah, here, like, I'll do something else. I'm going to come to Paul shortly uh, about kind of um, food trucks, but if anyone has a question, please put up your hand and uh, <coughs> we, we'll get, we'll, you know, you, you've got a panel here with some experts on it. You might as well take advantage of it. If you've got a question, put the old love up and uh, we will come to you in due, due course. Paul, quite a few people are moving to what's called hybrid locations, mm. uh, which is a fancy word from having a food, a food truck alongside a restaurant. Is that something that you've thought about? A food truck alongside a restaurant? Well, not right physically alongside it, but you know, having a presence in the restaurant and then kind of going mobile for certain occasions. Well, the food truck is my alter ego, uh, uh, that's for sure. I started off in a chip van when I was 15. <laughs> and, and I think I, I saw you in the snapper. Yeah, I'm nearly that old. Yeah, um, but I, I think there's a thing when you have a restaurant like we have, and you're there the whole time. There's there's a sense that you know being in the kitchen, whereas it's it's very comforting in one way, if you view it like that, because it's quite an intense place to work. But it's also you, you, you're not liberated, you know. And the idea of having a food truck is for me very liberating. And I don't know that you see it, but I just had a food truck program out last year. Mm -hmm. It was repeated this year as well, mm -hmm. and it's because it took me about six years to get that made. And because I had, I had a vision of myself, you know, in a food truck with all, maybe wearing a bandana, maybe not, I don't know, <laughs> jewelry's out there. But yeah, I, I love working in that environment because, first of all, because it's not conventional, it's not, uh, you, you, you don't spend a long time plating up the food and making it look pretty. It's like, you know, it's really good food. Food can come in many different guises mm -hmm. and good food, as long as it's tasty and people are happy and they walk away. And I, I always felt there's a great sense of, of freedom in that. Um, during COVID, uh, uh, I actually had, I got this lovely letter from, from this elderly couple in Swords. And uh, it just came out of the blue and it was handwritten. And they said, now this is a bit of kind of an awe moment, but uh, uh, they said, our son died from MS and he's pride and joy. He died seven years ago and he's pride and joy with this authentic New York, New York hot dog cart. And we would like you to have it. And um, because they, I don't know, they were kind of, they, they saw me along the line somewhere, I don't know. And I must have been speaking about food trucks. I must have been kind of talking in the way that I'm talking now. I don't mm -hmm. know. And then I rang them and, they, and I said, look, I can't possibly take that off you. And I love, I lo I'd love one of those. Right. You know, if, you, if you're familiar, if they're, really, they're made from aluminium, you push them along and they're, yeah. they're amazing. Again, this is part of my alter ego. I thought, uh, you know, uh, this is freedom. But I went up to see them and anyway, long story short, we organized it like a, char a charity thing for MS and they came down and Sean and Monica and they came down and stayed for the weekend. And uh, so I put the hot dog stand outside the restaurant. So it, it is kind of... Uh, um, relevant uh, outside the restaurant during COVID on the green space in front of the castle in Dungarm. I had the best summer ever. I, I, everybody had to listen to my music. 
<laughs> ABBA? It was like the national, all the way, never. Metallica? No, no not never, ABBA, brilliant. Yeah. No, I'm not, no, I'm not nearly metallic. But they had to listen to it nonetheless. Okay. And I was feeding them hot dogs, and it was brilliant. So I just think that, you know, what I encourage people to do, you don't have to go into the cold face of, of like a hard kitchen. Because no matter what, uh, uh, kitchens have improved, they really have, but it's still hard physical work. It still is, you know, you, the responsibility of putting out, if you have a, a, a well-regarded restaurant, you know, people come to you, they travel to you, they save up for you. And then, you know, you have every dish that you send out to them has to be perfect. And everybody else inside that's sitting down for lunch or dinner that day. So you actually have to be perfect, I don't know, something like 300 times a day with all the plates that you send out. That is a, an incredible ask for high-end restaurants. Mm -hmm. So, but... You don't have to do that. You can love food and go into a lovely deli or, or set up on your own. Uh, you, know, you can have a beautiful ramen shop. Hard work is what's, is what's needed. Or you can uh, get a, a... I mean, look at all the horse boxes. There were, there were no horses left in horse boxes. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I presume during, you were talking about the horses being cooked. Uh, no, <laughs> okay. you definitely never say that. The, the, right. um, Famous it, chef denies rumours of... Uh, of <laughs> right. Um, I'll, I'll come to Fiona in a second about uh, mobile technology. Just a show of hands here. How many people have bought food from a food truck in the last three months? Just a show of hands. Show of hands. Now, put your hands down if that includes a fish and chip thing on a Saturday night and you're, you're drunk as a lord. <laughs> so the rest... So one person did the fish and chips and... Uh, uh, Oh, you didn't? Okay. Put your hands down. Uh, yeah. Well, oh, every hand went down. Yeah. 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 Um, is there different technology needed for uh, food trucks than there would be for a traditional restaurant? Well, I think the technology is fundamentally the same. So you need to be able to take orders, you need to be able to take payments. So with Square, you can get started for free, and you only pay for as, as much as you make. So that, and then as your food truck develops, if you want more features or you want to add some seats outside, you can just adopt more features. Or then as you, your team grows, if you want to build in the, the team management elements. So you can just add it like modules as you go for mm -hmm. whatever that you need. Okay. And does Square take a percentage? Is that how it works? Or is it yes, it does. So yeah. our, uh, we do take a percentage on the payments, but mm. our software you can get started with for free. Mm. It's not quite like Sicily, taking a, a percentage. Uh, Kev, is that your next step? A truck? Oh, good question. Um, like, I, like what Paul said is, is actually, it, it's very great. Like, it's really cool because uh, you are right. Like, food comes in many different forms. And I think food trucks are, is probably the purest form because it's, you have to keep it simple. You have to keep a high quality. But at the same time, it, there, there's not a lot of pretense in it, you know, whereas, um, whereas you, you can get that in food. Um, I'm not sure if Nomo would go down the food truck scene, uh, to be honest, just because we, we do a lot of broth, and, and just to give you an idea, we need a 150-liter pot um, every single day. We boil that for six, seven hours, and we strain it. How big the, is 150? Is it as bigger than the chair? Yeah, it's about this height and probably this this width. Um, and uh, I I remember doing research before we opened, and, uh, I, and and in Japan, what they usually do is they drill a tap into the pot, right, to to, to make it easier. And I remember I was so like, I was thinking, oh, I've nailed this. And, and I got my guy to kind of put a tap in. And, and the first day we did the broth, I was like, this is genius, lads. Stand back. We're going to just open this tap. And, you know, the broth's going to come out. We're, no, no manual labor is needed. And um, straight away, the tap got blocked. 
it just got clogged straight away. And I was like, no, no, hold on, I can fix it. You know, like, I'm so fixable. So we ended up just like, you know, taking the broth out uh, with our hands in the end. So, uh, oh, sorry, with, with like ladles and stuff, not with our hands. <laughs> Spill uh, back the tape on that one. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, it's, it's quite a, and we went from 100 liters to 150 liters. So we've, we've kind of uh, upped, the, upped the volume over time. So that, that might be a bit hard to fit in a food truck. <laughs> Dangerous. Yeah. On the move. Yeah. Attracting customers is, of course, key. <clears throat> but um, these days, in this economy, attracting and retaining staff is also very important, Paul, isn't it? Mm. It is. It's a massive problem. And um, for some reason, uh, it, it just, it, it's, it's getting harder the whole time. And we're, we're getting, even ourselves, we have our, our senior people that have been with us for a long time, but then you need more people, to, part-timers and all that. But the people that are coming to us are kind of 19, 18, 19. My two daughters are working there now. I say I've scared them off for life, and they're 16, <laughs> 17. But um, the 22-year-olds, 21-year-olds, and uh, they seem to have disappeared. And it's not just with me, it's with everybody. Yeah. I mean, the thing about the food community is that it's very small. We all talk, you know, we all kind of go, well, how are you doing? What's happening? And all Do they kind of think stuff? that working in the hospitality is beneath them? That's a really good question. Um, I think maybe they think that it's a hard job, but it is a hard job. Mm -hmm. And they don't, they want to go into something else other than that. Isn't it? We're not attracting them like... Being an uh, influencer on YouTube or something like something that. Something like that. Perhaps. No, I mean, the thing is that I want to be cynical. Um, when I started off, I, uh, you know, I became a chef because I was terrible at school. But actually I was very lucky because the moment I walk in, it walked into the right kitchen, and this actually happened to be a local restaurant, I loved everything about it. I'm not outdoorsy, I love the fact that it was warm, I love the fact, I love, uh, <laughs> you, you know, and everybody else is cold outside. I, I, but I love the intensity of it. I, I was with a really kind man who really led me on and he absolutely expanded my mind in terms of what I could be, that it wasn't just about, you know, being in a carvery for the rest of your life or something like that. And he, he led me to believe that my own destiny was entirely in my own hands. And a year after, sorry, a day after my, my 18th birthday, I went to London. Mm -hmm. And when I was 23, I was head chef of two Mission Star restaurant. Right. So, and it was just hard work and then believing in yourself and also wanting to prove, you know, there, was, there was a massive thing with me is that I wanted to prove to my parents that I wasn't entirely useless. Mm -hmm. and, and because he used to try to drag me out of bed half the time, you know, even for my leaving cert. Yeah. But, you know, I think people just have to be lucky. They have to find something that they love. And I think if, they find, if they're lucky enough to find something that they love, mm. then they can flourish. And I, I, that's all I want for my old children, that's for sure. Uh, and you're not here t tonight, you're not in the tannery tonight, but uh, do you love getting into the kitchen and kind of start chopping up or preparing stuff? No, or? not anymore. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> no. So all that I, stuff about uh, loving what you do. I do, I do, <laughs> I do. But you see, what you, have to, what you have to remember, right, is that a Saturday night in the kitchen is like, is like going into a, I don't know, a hurling match or a rugby match or something like that. It is full on intense. Okay. And, yep. you know, I, when I was maybe about 10 years ago, I started like to overcook the steaks and burn my hands and make mistakes that I never used to do before. And then I'd bend down to the oven and I'd go, oh, what's happening? I can't get back up again. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but what I do is that we have a cookery school as well, you see. And oh, yeah. So I would teach in the, in the cookery school. And also we have a little restaurant over there. So it's like a chef's retirement home. Yeah. I, do dinner party, <laughs> I, I do dinner parties over there. And I'm really happy. And I can play my music over there. They have to oh. listen to it. Yeah. And, so, and I have a really good team. I have a brilliant head chef. And we mind them as best we can. You know, you have to uh, see... I, I 
again, the whole thing is the, the expectations are so high with people coming in. And because it's human, because you're, you're cooking under pressure, it's not like cooking at home. Actually, my, my favorite time to cook is when I'm on holidays. Mm -hmm. Because there's no, you know, I love the shopping, I love the opening the wine really early. Yeah. Uh, and 11am. Uh, uh, and there's uh, <laughs> half 10 usually. <laughs> Just after, for the washing up after breakfast. Okay. That's when I usually open it up. Um, but the whole thing about the stress, that element of stress is taken out of it. You cook for the sheer pleasure of it. Yeah. And I still do. I still love cooking. It is like, you know, the full on, you know, it, it is intense. Yeah. But when I was younger, I used to love that. You get a buzz out of it. And you get this amazing camaraderie in a kitchen. And I have friends that will be my friends forever that I had when How I was How many people in are involved in all the various different pies? Uh, about 30. I, I would say, including part-timers, but we have a small operation, but still the nature of, of having a restaurant is you need a lot of people to do it. You just yeah. do. And that's where, that's where the costs are yeah. uh, amongst everything else. Kev, staff? Yeah, I would totally agree with Paul. Like the, the, the team makes it. Um, when we, like one of my hardest tasks uh, when we opened up Nomo was actually understanding how to recruit, how to interview, you know, like hospitality staff, um, especially chefs, actually, because you, you actually find a lot of people out there that has experience on paper and they can do the job and stuff like that. But going back to having a good team, having that camaraderie, it's very, very tough in this industry. Um, and finding someone that you can really trust and that can that can really just love the restaurant or love the dish. And like, like you know, Paul said, you, you churn out the same dish 300 times in a day and you need to find someone else that has to shares the same amount of passion and mm. cares about it as much as you um so after a year we do have a good team and i'm i feel very very lucky because it's it's it, it is tough in the at this in this industry and, and i and, and i know a lot of friends who who are who doesn't have you know that 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 good of a team so i think it's something that i'm probably most focused on now uh, after a year uh, with the is, is retaining staff. Retaining staff and even, you know, staff will come and go and, and mm -hmm. we've had amazing staff leave us for many different reasons and, and I remember the first time that happened, one of my, uh, uh, an, an amazing chef that joined us from a, from a from Michelin star restaurant at the beginning, um, he was so creative and, and we were just um, in the kitchen just brainstorming all the time. He had to leave, and and I remember just asking my other friends, I was like, "Oh my God, this person's leaving! You know, we're we're screwed." Mm. <laughs> and they're like, "No, no, you'll be fine." Um, but but I remember just someone telling me this advice, saying that look, you got to remember, no one's going to work there forever, so you got to get used to you know people leaving and going. Um, but the key is just how you find the, the next uh, amazing person as well. We're coming close to the end. If anyone's got any questions, now is the time to raise your hand. Uh, out of curiosity, is anyone else in the restaurant business here? Just kind of showing your hands. Anyone else, anyone else thinking of getting into the food brochures? <laughs> Not anymore. Yeah. Thinking of getting into it? Don't do it. It was a tentative finger in the air. Uh, yes. Sir, what, what, would you like to open your own restaurant? I'm thinking of a food truck. Yeah? Okay. One person operates. All right. Uh, and there was another law at the back there. Yeah. I was going to ask about regulations in relation to Dublin City Council and food trailers and all that. Like, you're open up the next thing you're told to get away mm. from. 
I don't know about Dublin now, to be honest with you, but it is tight around the place. I mean, sometimes I think, and also you might not get an answer. I remember trying to put, we, there's a beach outside Dungarvan. I want to, there's a perfect spot that I'm eyeing up for my, my little hot dog stand. I'm, I think I'm waiting for a year for an answer to see could I, could I actually put it out there, you know. So what people actually do is just ignore them and just go do it. Yeah. And, you know, what the hell? There's enough rules in our lives. Um, but uh, actually, can I just say about, about, the, about the simple cheese? One of the best food trucks I came across is called Grilla, and d as in, so cheese toasties. And they just had about three cheese toasties, and you know, one with ham, one regular one, and one toasted special. It was amazing, and it was packed the whole time. It doesn't have to be fancy. You know? um, question for both of you, and then we're, we're kind of winding up. Cashless? Uh, yeah. We're You're cashless? cashless? We're cashless. Cash and cashless? Well, do you know what? We're cash and cashless, but there's so little cash now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I presume Square does handles the cash and card only. You can, we need to process the card payments, but you can record all of your cash transactions as well. Right. If anyone has any queries for Fiona, and I think there's a few of your colleagues around as well, isn't there? There are. Yeah. Um, don't be shy. And I think Kev will attest to the fact that it was easy enough to get going. We know that Paul is going to go down that road at some stage, but he describes himself as a technophobe, uh, which is yeah. a technical term. Well, luckily I have a wife. Yes. <laughs> and she's good at that stuff, so it's okay. We yeah, actually have someone using Square at their family-run business, and yeah. sometimes the octogenarian mother comes in, and she won't use a phone, like an iPhone, but she yeah. will use Square. That'll be me. Eventually, that'll be me. She's like, she's like my hero. <laughs> now, um, any more questions before we come to the sir? I, I'm just interested in what Kevin was saying about you know having creative chefs and how, what difference that makes. Do you not do the old-fashioned thing of having a particular recipe so it doesn't matter who's chefing in the kitchen that they follow the exact? Yeah, we we do. We have a we have a recipe book where we actually. We're uh, in Nomo because we're dealing with liquids all the time. You have to be very exact. It's kind of similar to baking, but even with that, people—it's all down to the personality. That they're, you know, you have to be very, very focused. Um, uh, you know, with all types of foods, especially high-quality foods. And in our process, for example, we have to boil the noodles to a certain uh, minute and take it out straight away. So there's so many kind of micro processes that has to come together very fast for, for that dish to kind of go out. Um, and what we found the difference between someone that is very good and someone that's just okay is that the, the person's very good, usually never really makes a mistake. You know, they, they pay particular attention. And then after a while, uh, you know, we do about 150 to 200 portions a day. So when you're at that 160, 170th, you still got to be switched on, you know? And, and, and so, yeah, recipes do matter. And, and I think probably all restaurants pretty much have it. Um, but if you really want to stand out, if you really want that last customer to, to come in at half nine and still have that same experience as the first customer, that's, I think, where the team really matters. Do you want to add anything to that, Paul, before we wind up? Did I just take a deep breath? I don't, maybe I didn't. <laughs> well, well, that, that's a really important thing because consistency is a really important thing because it's more damaging for your business to be up there brilliant one day and then the next day, oh my God, because people will tell everybody, go to that place and all of a sudden it won't be good. Yeah. So you need to, you know, you just need to have, you're better off being kind of, I won't say consistently mediocre because mediocre is never good, mm -hmm. but just consistently at a, at a high level as opposed to being brilliant. 
And sometimes you get people, uh, and I've seen lots of different people, and we don't ha actually have standardized recipes. We don't. It's very much hands-on, and you know, there the might be, uh, I don't know, the, the fish comes in, what do we do with this today? And we'll just say, like, let's put a, I don't know, a, a perinol butter sauce with that and put that and that, and that. But because it's such a small kitchen, we're always there. My head chef is, we're always kind of minding. But still, consistency is a huge issue, and it's very important. Yeah. Does perinol go very well with butter, yeah? It does. Yeah, it washes it down nicely, I find. <laughs> note to self, note to self. Um, we started with, the, uh, with Fiona, we're going to finish with Fiona. Any final thoughts before we wind up on this? Uh, no, so you can just go to our website to learn more and get started for free at squareup.com. Well, that, I've given you enough food for thought. Do you see what I did there? Um, and <laughs> thank you to square.com, everything that your business needs, almost. Thank you very much for Kevin Hughes. You know where to find him. You're in the road between Camden Street and... Harcourt Street. Yeah, what's the name of the street again? Uh, Charlotte's Way. Charlotte's Way. Thank it's from Montague Street? Uh, Montague. It's, it's, it's Montague Street's where the gambling casinos are. It's across the road from the Bleeding Horse pub. Yes, I always say that, yeah. <laughs> Bleeding horse, across the road. <laughs> no, not there, not there. It's more, it's further down. I'm going to send you a Google Maps link. Uh, <laughs> and you, you'll be fine. Uh, uh, Paul, uh, thank you so much, Paul Flynn. Thank restaurateur, you. Um, thank you. Dungarvan, Tannery, RTE, Books, Trucks, you name it. International model. International model. <laughs> uh, God, that wasn't in my... That wasn't in my... <laughs> I must have missed that one, yes. Thank you, very, thank you very much for all of you. I think we're going to stay. Yeah, round of applause. Thank you. And a, a very, very gentle round of applause for June for not oh. buying. <laughs> what a little angel she has been. Oh, she's awake now. There we are. She's awake now. Okay, just in time. I think we're, we're still providing beverages. Are we, are we still providing beverages outside? If anyone wants a, a light, light. Refreshment <laughs> afterwards. Thank you all, and we'll see you all mingling Thank you. outside. Thank you, guys. Thank you.